Hey everyone and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajamra and I am so excited that you came back to this podcast. If it's your first time here, you came at the right time. We have been doing a leadership series, but we're going to step away from it for the next six weeks. The reason is that we need to focus on fearlessness. We're living in the coronavirus crisis and many of us are still living at home in a shelter in place situation and our anxieties and our fears are going up. But we know as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that there is a better way to live. It is a way of faith and fearlessness. And so we looked in our archives and found a six-message series that I've taught at Judson University here in Chicago. I think you're going to love it. Each message is about 30, 35 minutes long. We're going to do one a week for the next six weeks, and then we'll resume our leadership podcast. Hey, as we've thought about you and prayed over you, we believe that you might also enjoy our uh, new community page. Basically, it's a Living With Power Facebook page in which I teach live every Thursday from 7 to 8. We'd love for you to be a part of it. All you have to do is go to our website, the livingwithpower.org website, and as soon as you land there, you'll see a box that says join our community. Click on it and join our community. Uh, Then on Thursdays at 7, log in and you'll see me there live. We love what's happening there. God is moving in hearts. Hey, if you want to live without fear, you get together with God's people, study his word, and see him break through the chains of fear in your life. For today, let's take the next 30 minutes, meditate on God's word, and see how he might use his word to cause us to live in confidence that he who brought us this far is going to get us through it. I love you guys, and I'll catch you at the end of this. Do you see the difference? And see, a lot of us live our Christian lives where God is a phone call away, and and he certainly is. But you see where freedom and joy and peace comes in when you put yourself in a place where you understand that he is right here, right now. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's living in you. His spirit is in you. And how can we get to the place where we live in that freedom? I want to take you, and I'm, again, watching that clock, and and I want to give you three points still, and I promised myself today I'd spend more time in the text, but it is what it is, and and, 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 and today, it's not Peter that I want to talk about, but it is, that's, I'm I'm going to do that tomorrow, so I hope you come back tomorrow, but, but I want to speak about Mary and Martha and Lazarus from John 11, three very simple points. You know the story, I think, but I'll give you the gist of it. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are siblings, and Lazarus is sick. He gets sick suddenly. These three people were very good friends of Jesus, not casual acquaintances. He would stay over at their house regularly. That's what he did. He loved them. We're going to see in the text in a minute this notion that he loved them wasn't just something that we think. It's something that God tells us. So when Lazarus gets sick, who do you call? I'm a doctor, and when my friends get sick, they call me because I'm a doctor. I help people. And so Jesus, for three years, or at that point, maybe a little under three years, had been walking around doing one thing. I mean, doing a couple of things. He was preaching the word. He was, he was showing who he was, but he was healing people. And so Martha sends a message to Jesus, who is now in another town, and, and, and says to him, Our, your, your, the brother is sick, can you come and help us? And, and you have to understand something, for Jesus, this was like kindergarten healing, right? I mean, he, he had had a day, Jesus, where when he healed the centurion's son without even going there, he just said the word, he says, you, he's healed. There was a woman once who touched the hem of Jesus' robe. She didn't even have to ask him for healing. Like, like he was like a PhD in healing. And so now his friends who are like close to him come to him and they're like, like we need you. We need you now. And here's what happens in John 11. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. It says, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then it says in verse 5, in case you missed it, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Here's an awesome truth. Not that you and I love God, and so therefore he answers our prayers, because a lot of us kind of stop there, right? We all, a lot of us think, man, if I love God enough, then that's my ticket to whatever it is I want. But what's awesome is that it's not my love for God that motivates God to work in my life, but it is his love for us. See, we love him because he first loved us. And so you read this verse and you're told twice that Jesus, even Martha, recognized that what will move the heart of Jesus to act was not that she was in love with him and understood that he was the Savior. And she didn't quite fully understand it yet, but it was that he loved them. See, what will move God's heart towards you isn't that you are so holy and godly, but that he has a love in his heart. I told you that yesterday. I'll tell you again. He loves you. He loves you. Here's the first thought today. God loves you even when it feels like he doesn't. See, here's the catch. Sometimes Jesus delays. And so in this situation, Lazarus is sick, and he doesn't just delay like he, until he's ICU sick. Like He delays until this Lazarus is in the tomb. In fact, we're told in verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Like he was as dead as dead can be, like unresuscitatable. You cannot, there's no pulse. He's been gone for two days. Don't open the tomb. The body stinks. You name it, he's dead. And what I want to kind of zone in on today is your dead dreams as a picture, or Lazarus dead as a picture of what you have come to God with and hoped for and found that God has not answered in your life. And at first, there's some delay, and, and you've gotten enough Bible in your life. You're Tuesday night chapel people, and you know enough to know that sometimes God delays, and that in the waiting, He works and changes you and strengthens your faith. But there comes a point when you go from waiting to dead. I remember when I was in, tw in my 20s, I had gotten engaged to a young man, and I joked yesterday about my poor dating life. It wasn't always this poor. There was a time when I dated a little bit more, and, and, uh, and God help us. It was, uh, I got engaged twice in 10 years, and the first time I broke off the engagement two weeks before the wedding, and oh, my poor dad, I don't know how he survived that whole agony, but, but I know that it was because I felt like God had spoken to me about a man who was my best friend for 10 years. Some of you men and women who hang out all the time as friends, be, be careful, guard your hearts. Men, you might not be aware of that, but she might become more interested and attached to you than she might even recognize. For 10 years, I did not recognize that I had feelings for this guy. And the truth is that for about nine out of those 10 years, I think he was trying to get me to pay attention to him, but I was resistant. And so when I finally kind of clued into it, I was already engaged to another guy. We ended up breaking off the engagement, and I felt that God had given me a word that I knew from the Lord that my life was going to include this young man. And people in my life would have attested to it. There are people in college now that would have told you, we thought you guys would get married. But as life would happen in those months after all of that happened, this man ended up marrying somebody else and dating someone else and marrying someone else. And it was at that time when I went to a new town where I knew no one. I went to do my fellowship in pediatric emergency medicine. And I remember landing in this town. I lived about a mile from the beach. And I just was so down. I was so uh, d distraught, not just by the fact that my heart was breaking, but, but by the notion that God had let me down. That here I came to God, and I remember for months until this guy got married, for those months leading up to it, that I kept thinking God would do something to change that because God is always for me. And God loves me. And I kind of thought I believed that, and now in my life it wasn't playing out that way. 
And so night after night, I would come home from work, and I faked it at work. Everyone thought I was funny and fun, and I am, and love working in the ER, and I was really, <laughs> you guys are like, amen, amen. <laughs> but I would come home at night in Florida, not knowing anyone in town. They didn't even have a Starbucks at that town at the time. Imagine, like I was in the pit of hell. <laughs> when they finally got a Starbucks, to make a point, I went and worked there. I would go to the ER during the day, then I'd come home and work at Starbucks in the night. It was crazy times. But, but I remember just feeling so devastated that God would hurt me like that. And uh, slowly this delay went into a death. You know, God loves you even when it feels like he doesn't. It was during that time that I would open my Bible and read it every day just because I was trained to do that. And I knew, I believed in my head, I kind of knew that, that I couldn't turn my back on God because what kind of Christian does that? Like now, so, so I would just read through the Word. And, and it was during that year that I was going through the Bible. And I promise you, for the first month or two of this pain that I felt, I don't think I understood a word of what I was reading. But one day I would sit down and read it and then go through the day. And one day I opened to Hosea and I started reading about the deep, deep love of God to me. And it was like something happened in my heart. And even though man had abandoned me, even though I was all alone, it was like this notion that God was somehow still in that moment. It was like slowly somebody was doing CPR on my heart. And, you know, it was out of that season that God called me to ministry. It was out of that pain that I believe beauty came. I started teaching a Sunday school class. I fell in love with teaching God's Word. That's really how 15 or 16 years ago now I felt God's calling to ministry. I would have never seen that, understood that, tuned into the passion of teaching God's Word had I married this guy and lived in East Tennessee somewhere. Not that you can't do both, but I promise you I wouldn't have gone down that path. And, 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 and you know what's interesting? That's not the end of the story because the end of the story is to say, well, that's awesome. God does something beautiful out of that. But what happens in our life is that you look at this now, all of my dreams and hopes and expectations that I have put in this man were now put into this dream of being whatever it is that one wants to be in ministry. And, and I started walking that path of, quote, unquote, my calling. And you guys are serious Bible people here on Tuesday. Those of you who will be here tonight, it's going to even be more intense. I'm telling you, you have maybe given your life to the Lord, and you know, you understand what I'm talking about. You're like, I know. I want to be a worship leader. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a teacher. I want to minister to youth, to people who've been saved from sex trafficking. And you've got this dream of what you want to do for God. And all of a sudden, because my dream went from being about me to what I thought was about God, I missed the fact that it was still sort of about me, about God. And over 15 years, God has taught me that you're never going to be satisfied with the dream. It is the dream giver that is the heartbeat of our soul. The second point here in the outline is this. God understands you even when you don't, or you don't have an outline, I'm sorry, but just imagine it. That's what Bible teachers do. God understands you even when you don't understand him. The first one was God loves you even when it feels like he doesn't. We're told in the text that Jesus loved them. He eventually came, and we're going to see in a moment that even though Martha was looking for a healing, Jesus had a resurrection in mind. Now we're going to look at this idea that God understands you even when you don't understand him. For 15 years of walking this path in ministry, I'm telling you, there's been moments, seasons, months, years when I'm just like, God, I have no idea who you are, not just what you are doing. That's confusing enough, but there's been moments where I'm like, I'm just not even sure anymore who you are. The reason I'm so passionate about this word is that this is where you find who God is. 
Do you see that the things in your life, even the God things in your life will fail you, but God's word will stand true. And so once you see the ground falling from beneath your feet and you see that God's arms are there to catch you and you open his word and you understand that he is always faithful, always true, that he loves you no matter what. You can grow in the certitude that even though you don't understand him, he knows exactly who you are and what you're about and what will meet the satisfaction of your heart. And so we see a conversation between Jesus and the disciples where you read it, and I've read it a million times in my life. This passage has been so instrumental in my life. And I read it and read it, and I'm like, what is that? The disciples are confused, and Jesus is kind of telling them what he's going to do, and they still are confused. And, and you kind of leave the conversation going, what was that? And then you kind of get into this conversation where Jesus and Martha are speaking. And so in verse 17, it says Jesus came, and he has already been in the tomb four days And Martha, she comes to Jesus, and she lays into him. And we like to spiritualize it, but I don't think there's anything proper about what she says to him. She says to him, she says, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And it's that same feeling of disappointment and a sheer, God, how could you do that to me feeling? And what I have loved about the Lord is that he can handle our doubts and our confusion and our pain We think we've got to be so proper in our conversations with God. Somehow we've missed David who poured his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Sometimes in joy, but often, often in despair. See, we talk about God to others. And we might be too proper to express how deep the pain that we feel is. How I find about the story is that whether it's the disciples and their confusion or Martha and her confusion or later Mary, Mary the godly one. Remember, she was the one who was like worshiping at his feet. See, even worship leaders are not exempt. She comes to him and says the exact same thing that Martha says. She says, Lord, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and there's a feeling of, God, how could you not show up? We, we, we love you, but you love us. And God can handle the impossible. Watch your hopelessness and watch your expectations where you might be waiting for a healing. God might have more in your mind than you ever dreamed possible. I'm going to talk about failure tomorrow. I'm going to tell you some of the stories, some of the failures that I've had, even in my ministry experience and in my professional life, and how God has used these things to show me what really the goal of John 11 is. It's twofold. Jesus says it several times in the passage. He says, one, it is for the glory of God. See, God is glorified when he shows up and does the impossible. And God is glorified when in a conversation with Martha, he gets her to understand that it is not Lazarus raising from the dead. And mind you, some of us don't understand the depth of that because some of us have brothers and sisters where we're like, ah, darn, I'm sorry he's sick, but we'll move on to the next chapter, right? Guess you're not in my family. No, just kidding. But he looks at her and says, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I can resurrect and give life, which he certainly could and did in this instant, but I am the resurrection and the life. At every junction in my life where Christ has brought me to a point of surrender where I have to choose 
my dream or Jesus, my desire for marriage or Jesus, my desire for a successful ministry or Jesus, whatever junction, whatever time he has brought me to that and I've finally fallen on my face because there is no other choice, not because I'm so great, not because I'm so godly, but because it's such an evident choice and it's so painful to live outside of surrender. Every time I've come to that intersection, I've stopped and I've given my life to Jesus again and said, God, you are more important than that thing. There's not once that I've done that that I haven't found him to be more than enough, that I haven't found him to be deeply satisfying in my soul, that I haven't found him to be above and beyond all that I can ask or imagine. Last night, I just went for a walk. The weather was beautiful in the afternoon, and in the evening, I just was wrestling with just wanting you to like me. And then I stopped myself, and I thought, God loves me. It doesn't matter who else does. It doesn't matter what happens, humanly speaking. Spiritual enrichment, you know, you think about what it is that you want to get out of this week. I googled spiritual enrichment as I google many things in this world, including how to reduce a shoulder dislocation, which is pretty funny because <laughs> you're always like you're watching a YouTube before you walk into the patient's room and you're hoping they don't look over your shoulder because... I might make him a little bit uncomfortable, but you need refreshers, you know, better to watch and do than to fail. And <laughs> Don't come to my ER if your shoulder's broken. <laughs> I Google spiritual enrichment, and do you know that almost every reference had something to do with yoga pants? I mean, it was like, like, what is spiritual enrichment? What do you want to accomplish this week? What is God trying to get you to an intersection in. Spiritual enrichment week is not about me. It's not about Chris Lash. It's not about the worship team. It's about you. It's about God trying to deeply work in your life in a way that will radically change you forever. I look back at my life when I was 16. I was at camp and there. I can tell you the exact moment when God deeply got a hold of my heart. I can tell you where my call to ministry stemmed from. I was at a conference, and one night I just could tell I was already built. It's always like something is building up to it, and then you get to the moment, and you're just radically changed, and, and, and there's like a line in the sand where you go, I'm not going back there. I don't know what that was. It might have been good in the moment, but now I'm starting afresh. Nothing is worth sacrificing this deep walk with the Lord in. And, and then you kind of go through life and you kind of go through the circumstances. You'll hit another crisis point where he's like, are you sure? And you go, I am sure. And I hope and pray that for you this week is about that. It's about saying, God, I am sure that you are more than I ever wanted. And by drawing a line in the sand, you're starting afresh for some of you. Maybe you've never come to a place where you've given your life to Jesus. And maybe this is the week that will enrich your life forever. Eternal life is yours in Christ if you'll only receive him. I think about that analogy at the beginning of my house, and, and I think about how I could have just not called 911. And, and maybe the robbers would have left, and maybe they would have come into the house, and they actually ran away after I said, I think they were trying to steal people. Some of you are like, what happened? What happened? I can't go on with this day. If I don't, I'm telling you, they just basically left. It was kind of anticlimactic. But about two days later, I heard that 40 cars were robbed about three blocks down the street. So I think they were just trying to steal people's house on a holiday, thinking that the lights were like set on a timer. But, but, you, but, 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 but you might 
be in a place where you're like, well, I don't want the Lord. I'll, I'll manage this by myself. Maybe you'd go out and get a FOID card, set up a few cameras outside the house. Maybe you know the Lord and you'll still do that. Your nephew will give you a BB gun just in case someone comes in and, and does that again in the future. So it's sitting in my drawer in my bedroom, and I'm not sure that I'll ever use it, but I think if you aim at the eye, I'll be okay. Or <laughs> Here's the last point. I'm going to review three points today, and the last point is just a point of encouragement to every one of you. The first one was God loves you even when it feels like he doesn't. The second one is God understands you even when you don't understand him. And the concluding point is this, and I'll just spend 30 seconds on it and let you marinate in it all day. God does it even when you barely believe it. God does it even when you barely believe it. Jesus has a conversation with Martha where he pushes her to the limit. He says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And she says, yes, Lord. How many of us have said, yes, Lord, and we think we're good. Our faith will stand unshaken. You turn the page over and you see Jesus with the crowd and Mary, and he's just had a, his only crying spell that is reported in the scripture. I think he's cried a lot more in the, in the New Testament, in the, in the time that he lived, but we're told about that in this chapter. But then he goes to this rock, and here's Martha standing there, the woman who just said, yes, Lord, I believe. And Jesus looks at her and says, move the stone. And you know what she says? Not Mary, not the crowd, but Martha looks at him and says, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And see, most of us think that our faith will change things. So we put all of our efforts in our own faith and our own ability to believe. So if there's so much teaching going on in the church tonight that if you believe enough, it will change. And so there's so much pressure on us to have a faith that is unshaken, that have a faith that can withstand so that God would finally show up and raise our Lazarus. But you know, it's never about the depth of your faith. It is about the person that we are putting our faith in. And we'll see this pattern in Scripture over and over again where people come to God with this much faith, and yet somehow God, in His goodness and grace, will still do it even when we barely believe it. And I don't know about you, but that is a truth that I need to rest in. And so as we close, I'm going to ask you like yesterday to stand up so I can pray for us. I always wish I had three more minutes, but be that as it may, we'll let the Holy Spirit work in you as the day goes on. Here's the final kind of overarching theme of today's message. Every broken dream is a chance for you to overcome your fear. Maybe you're here today and you feel like a dream has been broken. You thought God would do something in your life and it hasn't turned out and it looks dead. Listen, God can still work. God is still working mightily in your life. So as I close in prayer, just tell him what Martha told him, not perfectly, imperfectly, but she meant it from her heart and God showed up and did a miraculous work in their family that changed their whole village forever. And she said two words, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, and God, with these words, we conclude this time together asking you to help us to see the beauty of what it means to walk in you. Father, you're so beautiful, you're so good, you love us, and you're always working in us in ways that we don't comprehend. Make us fearless. Father, make us unstoppable as we rest secure in your love, and it is in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Well, aren't you glad you listened? I don't know about you, but I needed this reminder that God is greater than my fears. And so if you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to share it with your friends. We'd also love for you to let us know. Email me at lena at livingwithpower.org. But more importantly, we'd love to meet you in a deeper and more intimate way on our Facebook community page. Uh, again, just go to livingwithpower.org. As soon as you land there, you'll see a blue box that says join our community. It's free. 
Every Thursday I teach there live, but we have all kinds of interactive things there for you to grow closer to God and to get to know his word more. Hey, we're so glad you came today. Know that we'll be praying for you. We love you and we pray that God will continue to manifest himself into your life in greater ways and in a more intimate uh, fashion. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. For now, enjoy the day and thanks for tuning in.